Hello, everyone. This is Sean Harwell. You are once again listening to the Never Heard of a Podcast. This is episode 52, part two in our series on the movies of 1985. And I'm joined today by a man from 1985. Say hello, 1985 man. 1985. <laughs> so futuristic for totally. 1985. Totally. Um, I, I know what is what your name? Sounds like my name's Craig Moorhead, and uh, and I'm the other guy who's on Never Heard of It. And um, thank you for listening. If you'd like to find us online, you can. You can find us at Twitter at Never Podcast. You can find us at NeverHeardPodcast.com. That's our site. You can find us on Facebook too. Never Heard of It uh, Podcast and uh, Instagram. N H O I T. That's never heard of hit <laughs> podcast, I believe, on yeah. uh, on Instagram. But you can find us out there. Please do and drop us a line. Uh, we need to hear from you now more than ever. Why is that, Sean? Well, because a we clearly don't know what we're doing and, mm. and haven't from day one. Mm-hmm. But b we always want suggestions, specifically in this series we're doing because uh, we want to know. What did you like from the year 1985? Is there a movie that you think didn't uh, get the kudos it deserved or maybe got more kudos than it deserved? Nothing's worse than too many kudos. That's right. And obviously, if you don't know what we're talking about at all, go back and listen to episode 51. That'll fill you in. If you think you know absolutely everything about 1985 already, hey, you're here. We're going to talk about three movies today specifically and get into some of the big themes of the year in movies. And Craig. Mm. Watching and rewatching uh, two of the three movies that we're talking about today really hammered home the idea of the overall motif of 1985 in movies and something we talked about specifically in the last episode. And that is just how predominant youth culture is this year in movies. And specifically yeah. today, we're going to talk about kids, right. uh, movies about Actual kids who are not yet teenagers for the most part Mm -hmm. and find themselves in a bit of peril in each instance. The three movies we're going to talk about are, we're starting at the top, obviously, because Goonies, everybody knows Goonies, huge monster hit of the year. I think, what did we say? It finished sixth overall in the box office this year, if I'm not. That's right. Nope, I'm I'm wrong. Ninth. Close enough. Uh, $61 million. Nothing to slouch at, obviously. And huge, huge hit all across the board. Um, if you're a male between the ages of, I'd say, 35 and 45, I can't imagine this movie didn't play a large part in your youth. We're also going to talk about Explorers. I think uh, a movie that feels like, uh, at least to me and others, is, is one that's very much a companion to, to the likes of Goonies, uh, to the likes of E.T. even. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Daryl, or if you want to be an asshole about it, D, 
A R Y L. Uh, because, as the movie likes to point out, that is an acronym. Uh, boy, boy, does it point it point that out quite a bit. Uh, but a movie that you know I specifically remembered watching as a kid and, and thinking fondly about, and then watching it again as an adult. A uh, slightly different situation. We'll get to all of that. Uh, I do think right up front, maybe that's a good segue to just just mention the idea of nostalgia. And, you know, looking at all these things now, both of us being over 40, having kids of our own, Craig, we know nostalgia does funny things to us. Obviously, it feels like we're in a very nostalgia-obsessed moment in time. However, Mm -hmm. I think you could argue, you know, watching these movies, these three specifically, you know, maybe the 80s were nostalgic themselves because I think you have directors here kind of playing off of you know, the stuff that they watched as, as kids and like the, the adventure movies that they grew up with and finding sort of new ways to fashion those perhaps for a modern audience at that time. This is 1985, right? We're doing it. 1985. Craig, let's talk about Goonies then because that was, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, a lot of the impetus for doing this series. You watched it again recently. I've seen it in the past two years. I didn't rewatch it this time because I wanted to get to the other two movies because I wasn't as you know completely familiar with those two. What did you think watching it again as an adult with kids? And did you watch it with your kids? Uh, I did watch it with my kids. Uh, so my daughter is four. My son is eight. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> she just had a birthday, right? Yes. My daughter just had a birthday. So she is five and my son Happy is birthday, eight. Happy birthday, Grace. Uh, but when they watched it, they were four and eight. And that, that makes really all the difference. Yeah, and most importantly, what did they think of Goonies? Well, here's the deal. After Sloth kissed Chunk on the cheek mm-hmm. when they were down in the in the dungeon down there, uh, they both said, "That's enough for me. I don't wow. need to watch anymore." And then, <laughs> and so we, we we turned it off, and then we talked about it for a while, and we said, "Well, <laughs> we said, are you scared of Sloth?" And yeah. they said, "They said, yeah, he's kind of weird." And we said, "Well, you know." Yeah, I mean this this became like a real family Sloth meeting. Is a tough we're, one. Just, yeah. we're just like, look, if you watch the whole thing, you won't feel scared of him anymore. Like that's as much as we can tell you. Oh, uh, you don't want to spoil it. Exactly. I mean I like that's that. just you're it, sticking it to your much. principles there. Yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> and so they finally said, All right. And and yeah, by the end they thought he was awesome and they loved it. Like they loved the movie. But nice. but in that early going, they were very tense. As mm-hmm. I mean, the movie obviously wants them to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that was their reaction. They they, they loved it, um, but it was it was tough going at the beginning. Well, beyond that, I, I do want to know because I, you know I think this is something that I picked up on watching Explorers and Daryl, um, and we talked about this last week. The PG, the PG thirteen, and that fine line, you know, with the kids there and thinking about Goonies, were there things uh, beyond Sloth that you were worried might be objectionable? I mean, obviously, you have the Fratelli brothers firing mm-hmm. guns. Yeah, I think that's the opening sequence, right? Is is their sort of escape? Yeah. Well, the very first thing you see is uh, uh, I think I believe is uh, I think his name is Robert Davi. Mm-hmm. It, it pretty much opens with Robert Davi hung from a. Um, jail cell door mm-hmm. essentially essentially as far as an eight or four year old is concerned that's a dead guy hanging like that, <laughs> that's how the movie opens yeah. and then of course he wakes up and he punches and there's a lot of explaining to do if you have yep. a, a kids who are eight and four and then yeah then, then there's a chase but but definitely i mean there's a lot of there are uh like realistic dead bodies to deal with 
Yeah. There is, um, uh, I mean, they, they, they threatened to, to put Chunk's hand in a blender. Like, there's some pretty sure. intense stuff. Um, the language is pretty hardcore. And, and it's kind of weird because the crooks are super cartoonish. Like, they yeah. could not be more cartoonish. But at the same time, they're also clearly dangerous. Like, they're, it's, not, it's not like Home Alone crooks. No. Home Alone crooks, they're not going to threaten to really do anything that bad to you. Yeah. Whereas, like, the Goonies crooks, like, are absolutely out for blood. I mean, they're moving bodies around. Like, they're, it's all that stuff. Specifically being anchored by their mother, which, uh, you know, is like, yeah. in some ways, that's way more, you would imagine, horrifying to a kid because obviously yeah. they have moms. And, uh, you know, to think that they would be like, your mom's the ringleader of the crime family. Sure. That's pretty, pretty frightening stuff. And, um, and Anne Ramsey is perfectly cast. Of course. Yeah, yeah. The best. Now, did, did that, any of that stuff seem to stick with them? Or, or did you have to have any conversations about that kind of thing? Or no, it was just Sloth. No, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Sloth was, was the scariest, I think, mainly because mm-hmm. they respond very strongly to anything that is unknown. And like, you clearly are not seeing this guy's face. Right. For so long, and it just feels unsettling. Mm-hmm. And then you see his face, and that freaked him out. And you know, uh, and of course, by the end, he's he's totally a hero. And and they're not they're not worried about those crooks anymore. But right. but you know, but the crooks do pose a real danger. And so there was real tension for the kids throughout this yeah. chase. Like it, it wasn't just like what funny thing is going to happen with the crooks this time. It was like they could do something bad. Yeah, and I think that's like uh, I mean, it just. It, it feels like the real hallmark of the great Spielberg Amblin thing is yeah. that continual <laughs> raising of stakes and just that excitement and you're, you're in it from moment to moment and never kind of lets you take a, a, a real breath um, as far as that excitement level is concerned. Yeah. Unless maybe you're in your 40s. I don't know. So what, what did you think? We'll transition from uh, Never Kids Heard of It podcast to... <laughs> what did what did Craig the adult man mm-hmm. think of Goonies watching it again? How long it had been had it been since you'd seen it? It it really hadn't been that long. Like mm-hmm. I I think I watched it within the last couple of years, or I watched parts of it in the last couple of years. But yeah, Craig the virile man, <laughs> it, it's it's not a good movie. Okay, are we gonna have to fight? It, it's it, it's it's got a lot of great moments in it, and I mean. And we can get into this later, but it's got Jeff Cohen mm-hmm. as Chunk, who is an absolute gold mine. If I was a director and I cast that kid and then I was watching him do that stuff on set, I would just be like, I don't know. I hit the jackpot with at least one kid. Maybe, maybe not everybody else, but that kid is incredible. I can't believe there wasn't a movie built around that guy, quite yeah. frankly. Anyway, but but the 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 movie, I mean, the movie just doesn't, even try to to make sense most of the time and and it's it, it, i mean it's it's i guess maybe that's how much of a kids movie it is like yeah they they, they put the story together and no one, you know everyone probably just felt like eh, it doesn't matter if you know any of these decisions make sense or if you know any of this stuff really makes any sense like let's just get them in there get them underground so we can get the indiana jones stuff going yep have the and adventure. then no one will care and that's exactly how I felt when I was a kid. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, they found a map, and then they're going to go, and then it's fine, and there are a bunch of booby traps for no reason whatsoever, but okay, let's do this. 
like I, I was I was <laughs> as a kid I just I didn't care about any of that like I was yeah. just amazed by everything and so but that's the thing I mean the the as a full full ass grown man uh the the script itself is not very good a lot of the dialogue is pretty terrible uh a good number of the jokes fall super flat and and stuff just randomly happens it, it could have been it could have been tighter you know like, like if we didn't have things like back to the future and like et you might say oh that's as good as they could do you know but it's not like they could have done better but um but it's still, I mean, it's still really fun to watch. I'm going to just give a brief counterpoint mm-hmm. uh, and just say you're wrong. Okay, that's fine. So moving on. Now, I, I you know, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it the last time I watched it. I, you know, It's tough to kind of quantify a good movie, great movie for me with, with this one specifically because it is such, you know, as I talked about, like, the movie that I acted out, like that's what I played sure. for like a solid probably two years with my friend in my neighborhood riding bikes and going on. I wanted to have the Goonies adventure and mm-hmm. watching it again, you know, maybe it's just and maybe that's a testament to it that it does work for some people on that level that it, it is able to kind of, you know, make me tap back into that that experience a little bit. But I just remember loving all the performances again, you know, mm-hmm. Josh Brolin's fun. I mean, Feldman, all of that stuff. Like to me, you know, data, those are the movie. It's those kids. And they're sure. such likable, definable kids that I don't know. I, I forgive jokes that fall flat or lacks of, of motivation. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't. I think that's kind of what you're saying <laughs> is that, you know, if you're taking it at face value about the story of it, maybe mm. maybe it falls a little flat. But uh, I, I'm here to say that there are times where that's okay. If you've got that something else that's kind of like magical, yeah. um, and I think a lot of that comes just from that cast, then, boy, I think you can just forgive so much. I, I can. I'm saying I can. I forgive you, Goonies. Well, <laughs> well, I'll say this. I mean, I think, like, that's a, I don't want to get to Explorers too soon, but I feel like, that's a major difference between this and Explorers. Totally, because you you have you have very likable casts uh, and all that, and neither story is necessarily like stronger. Just just in terms of like story, the story holding up mm-hmm. stronger than the other. But there is just more. Exactly, there is just more magic to Goonies. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And definitely Daryl. Yeah, and I was definitely predisposed to the Indiana Jones thing. Like I think that's that was the genius of that premise because ever since I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was pretending I was Indiana Jones. And now here's a movie of people my age who are basically Indiana Jones. Right. I mean, that's that's all I want. That's what every poster told me it was going to be. And that's that was fantastic. So, yeah. And I think, you know, that's a, a thread through the three of these movies and looking kind of back at that period as like being the great period for kids' movies and like the, sort of cross that gap between having something for adults and and the kids as well it just feels like these kids are more of a reflection of actual kids than what i see mostly in movies with young actors today you know Mm -hmm. versus like this and explorers and even daryl um the, the main kid excluded they just feel like kids down the street in a lot of ways yeah and I think that's the real success of, of Goonies and Explorers is that these are really ordinary kids in extraordinary situations. 
Daryl flips that by having an extraordinary kid who's a robot, and we're going to get to that, in a very ordinary situation for the, the bulk of the movie, which is interesting and maybe why it's less successful. Looking at explorers and thinking about, there's a very small scene where you see River Phoenix's home life, and there's kids all over the damn place, and they're eating yeah. and making a mess. And I immediately thought of like Close Encounters, like Dreyfus's family, and like seeing that. And E.T. when uh, you know Drew Barrymore and, and Elliot and Michael are running around their house and that kind of thing. I don't know. Like that's to me is the real magic of these movies is making that feel like a real home life. Yeah. I do have a question for you watching Goonies again. Mm-hmm. They don't ever explain where the hell the name Goonies comes from, right? They do kind of. I mean, they call it goondocks, right? Right. That, that's what I always got from it. I, I remember as a kid watching it and by, at the end just not understanding why the movie was called Goonies at all. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Because what's, what's a goondock? But, but yeah, yeah. I, I just assumed they called that area the goondocks. And, that's, and so they're goonies. But yeah, they, they never get into that, though. And I like, they don't go deep that. into that idea. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, think about it. Like, this is a top 10 movie of the year. That's the title. And it's never really explained. No. <laughs> It's fantastic. It is fantastic. What's a big flaw of Goonies in your mind? I think the biggest flaw... Sorry, that was going to sound super cheesy, so I'm going to make it even cheesier. Please do. I think the biggest flaw, Sean, are the small moments. Because a, a lot of the plot is fine. I think that my, my biggest problem with any of the big plot points are... And, and, and I realize... That this this is just a matter of suspension of disbelief, but for some reason my suspension of disbelief just sort of runs out at this point. Why and what is the point of all the booby traps? Why were they built? Can I tell you my understanding? Yeah. It was that obviously when I Willie wanted to keep other people from his gold, mm-hmm. he intended to get out of there with that ship, but until then, they were the booby traps. And that to me is still a little foggy as to why. And I, because I thought you were going to say, there's a, you know, a pristinely preserved pirate ship. Right. Just hanging out in this cave. And they have, you know, little trouble, as I recall, getting it out of there. Sure. Why didn't someone before them do that? Again, I forgive all these things because my glasses yes. are so rose colored. It's ridiculous on this one. Well, I, I think you have to. And, and certainly my, my kids didn't care at all mm-hmm. but it just got to me where i was trying to figure out like so is is one-eyed willie like coming and going then yeah um because <laughs> there's a is, solution uh, to every booby trap so right. what, you know it's not I, I don't know um can you imagine how god that must have been so annoying it's like he's hanging on his pirate ship. It's like shit i ran out of milk i gotta go into town yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, which god, i think that was a common problem traps. yeah yeah I'm running out of not milk. having milk big time big time i don't <laughs> know how many milk, cows man. are on the goondocks no, yeah. and it is like they're pretty elaborate booby traps. I mean, they're super elaborate, and and yeah. that's, I mean, but that's exactly what the audience wanted. That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. I don't want anything less than a piano made out of bones. Yeah, they look cool. Yeah, it feels part of that world. It's scary and it's weird. Yeah, but to to get back to the smaller points thing, mm-hmm. I have two examples that kind of happen kind of quickly together. Okay, that just bug me enough that I'm taken out of the movie. Uh, One is they go to that restaurant, right? They've seen them carry these garbage bags out. They go to the restaurant. They're trying to figure out how to get inside. 
and Trunks sees bullet holes in the car and comes running around to the front to tell the guys, guys, there's bullet holes. We got to get yeah. out of here. Like he's freaked out. Mm-hmm. And then Mouth says, hey, wait a minute, Trunks. You know, I got some naked pictures of your mom taking a bath. <laughs> Want to buy them? What? Real cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Chunk flips on a dime. He's so mad, he charges Mouth, who steps out of the way, and Chunk goes through the door. And I was just like, that's a super awkward moment. Like, only thing Chunk wants to do is leave because they're going to get shot and killed. Yeah, but But then Mouth Craig, says something dumb about his pictures and Chunk's like, oh, yeah. Do you not remember when they talked about the fact that Chunk's mom died three years before the movie take place? I still don't buy it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I mean, yeah, it's a little. So I think, you know, in the grand scheme of priorities, right. bullet holes trumps what's obviously a lie about his mom being naked. Right. Um, his mom is probably a perfectly lovely woman. In fact, I think we see her at the end, right? You know, there's nothing for him to feel too ashamed about or even believe mouth, obviously. And here's the thing in the trailer. If you check out the trailer, mm-hmm. they cut that exact same moment, but they cut out the thing where mouth says anything about the pictures. So it's yeah. like Chunk freaks out. He's running for the front door. Next thing you see is from the inside, Chunk going through the door. Oh, okay. So and it's like, saying. oh, yeah. yeah. So like I would have told, I would be like, that's fine. Yeah. He tripped, he fell, he went in the door. Great. He's, he's a clumsy guy. They've established yeah. that. Yeah. Interesting. And so, Interesting. And so shortly after that, though, so they run into Ann Ramsey going into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so four kids have shown up at a place where they have murdered people and they have moved bodies around. She says, do you guys want some water? And then gives them this nasty water that no one wants to drink. And then Sean Aston says he has to use the bathroom. So she sends him downstairs... And he looks around and finds Sloth and then runs out of there and Brand is there suddenly and Brand takes them all out and, and, and Ann Ramsey's there the whole time. I guess my thing is, these guys are murdering people. Why didn't they just murder everybody? Like, why was she even... Her, her fa- Everyone can see exactly who she is. They know exactly where she is. W- would she have just let people waltz in and out of this restaurant? So like, that's just another thing where I was like, I don't understand why this is happening. Like, why did they even have the kids run into her? Yes, the classic movie villain conundrum mm-hmm. uh, where they just they don't kill the protagonist when they have the opportunity. And yeah. uh, in the movie, in the first tw- 10 minutes. Right. And I just feel like she has all the motivation in the world to do that. True. Like, true. it's not like she's trying to, she has to play it off so that everything goes smoothly. She doesn't have to play anything off. No one mm. knows they're out there. So, anyway, so that, those are the examples of the kind of things that kind of start to pile up. Right. But between those things, you got Chunk. Jesus, oh, so you got good. Chunk, and he's so great. Anyway. Now, what did you feel about watching? Let, let's talk about how this movie is like a big, like it, it is a 1980s movie, specifically 85. Yeah. What feels dated to you watching this? And like, I'm specifically curious about data mm-hmm. and even like some of the fat stuff with Chunk. You know, these feel like sensitive things that probably would not fly, sadly. In a 2017 movie, maybe for better or worse, that's yeah. up up for debate. What is about this movie that you think maybe doesn't hold up, or just doesn't reflect the kind of like current mindset, even if it just applies to movies? Well, honestly, I mean, the biggest thing is that these kids don't have an internet or apps or anything. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and so yeah, like I don't know this this. 
I don't want to simplify it too much, but it's like, yeah, when we were kids, like the fun thing was to get on your bikes and go somewhere. Right. And go exploring. But I feel like, yeah, like now they would have been on the internet for the first 20 minutes. And then it's been like, oh, wait, those yeah. are the Fratellis. Let's, let's not do that. Yeah. So in a weird way, yeah, it kind of, kind of feels like this adventure would not have gone off at all. Right. Uh, what about you? Well, I was going to say, I mean, bikes, I think, figured prominently in all three of the movies. And I definitely felt that watching Explorers and Daryl is like, yeah, kids just get on their bikes and go. Like that mm-hmm. is, it feels like less of a, a reality in today's world, sadly. I think some of the language for sure some of yeah. just seeing like kids left alone, you know, and like, you know, their parents aren't watching over them all the time and they're farting around yeah. in the attic and, and going through crap and yelling at each other. I think all that stuff is interesting. I don't know. You know, I love data so much and I love the performance so much. It's hard for me to look at that and go, geez, yeah, yeah that's a bit of a stereotype. I mean, it clearly is, you know, um, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the thing I was struggling with, too. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, he, he wasn't putting on a voice. No. He's a strong character. He's active. He's... He's honestly the character that I pretended to be the most. Sure, yeah. <laughs> as a kid. Because it was cool. He had all that stuff. Like He, he had, had all those traps. cool inventions. Yeah. Yeah. Slick shoes. So, I mean, he, he had a boxing glove that just shoots out of his yeah, coat. That and that, by the way doesn't bother me at all no. like i was like that's great <laughs> of course mm-hmm. he had a boxing glove under that all time no i, I mean I, I thought he was the coolest one but yeah. i mean i guess that's a good question yeah i mean that I, I think is probably not happening in 2017 definitely fratelli's would look a lot different sure that whole plot would be neutered i, I suspect or given some sort of supernatural element possibly and then sloth i mean i think maybe that's the biggest one that we're overlooking is <laughs> like yeah. what the hell is sloth if not an extremely disabled person and right. i love that he's a hero in this thing oh yeah but you there's certainly no way you're working anything like that into a movie no. today. I mean, there's just not. And I think, you know, part of me wonders if that's somewhat of the holdup of why there's never been a sequel to this damn thing. Is because sure. people are going to want to see Sloth. I mean, Yeah, there's right? no way you're going to do without Sloth. No, what do you yeah. do without Sloth? Uh, so it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that movie will happen eventually. Maybe they'll go the TV route. You know, I hadn't thought about the internet thing, but that is a, it is a great point. And actually, you know, we can wrap up Goonies a little bit because computers actually figure prominently in both Explorers and Daryl. So they are definitely working their way into movie stories in a big, big way by this time. Yeah. But just not in Goonies. And I think it's certainly better off for it, probably. That is probably true. Any last thoughts on Goonies? Uh, Anything uh, you stumbled across? I mean, you know, we talked about, I I didn't get a chance to to check out the commentary. I mean, I think it'd be kind of interesting. There's certainly, obviously, like Google, there's a million things written about this movie. And, there's been cast reunions, and obviously a lot of these players have gone on to uh, all sorts of highs and, if not lows, like sideways diagonal <laughs> moves. Mm-hmm. Some of them have bands now, apparently. Sure. If you want to call it that. No offense, Corey Feldman. <laughs> I mean, like one of the things I kept thinking about while watching this, just to kind of hit the tip of the iceberg, is Sloth, again, who is... The, the third Fratelli brother. And how did all that work? Yeah. I mean, have, have they just always kept him chained up and he has such a good attitude still? Like, 
Well, he loves the baby know. Ruth, so... He does give, love give, baby Ruth. Give the guy some candy. He's all right for a couple of hours. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting thing. Maybe that's what the sequel... The sequel should be from his POV, because <laughs> wouldn't you maybe. love to know? Yeah, it's like... Yeah. What did he witness some of what the you know the crimes that these people were committing that he was related? He clearly has a moral compass that is truer pointing north than his uh, relatives, but uh, it doesn't seem like he had a very good life with them. Sadly, although I will throw this out there just to completely just to end the Goonies talk on a on a bad note. Why hasn't Sloth done anything until now? He's clearly stronger than everybody. He doesn't like anyone in his family. Yeah. Why is he only now fighting back against them? Come on, Sloth. Well, you know, if they have guns, I don't know. I don't know. They're not they very had smart. chained up. But he pulled the chains out of the wall. That's true. He did pull the chains out. Maybe and, he uh, just uh, needed Chunk. Maybe Chunk was yeah. like the catalyst. And the restaurant was just a rendezvous, right? That was just a temporary hiding place yeah. for them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we didn't do well, this. We should do this. Like, uh, still, what's, what's a good favorite moment from Goonies for you? Oh, man. You want me to go first? Yeah, you should go first. Absolutely love. And, and yes, it's it's coincidental. Total movie moment. When Chunks runs out of the house to go get help and flags down a car. <laughs> it's, yes. It's the, I mean, that whole thing, Mama Me, like when he starts singing and, you know, they throw him <laughs> in the trunk. There's a, I like that sequence. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, he starts reciting, and I don't know what it is. He starts <laughs> reciting something in Hebrew. Really? Yeah. Like, he he just switches straight from, Mr., Mr., you got to help us, because you got to help us. And then just like, oh, man. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with a Chunk moment, too, because Chunk has the best small moments in this movie. Yeah. I'm going to go with two, because this is one of the smallest things in the world. But if you watch the movie, I think it's, it's Anne Ramsey or it's one of the brothers. At some point, right after the kids have come in the restaurant, they're all kind of lined up there. Chunk is the closest to the camera. And whoever it is, whoever the bad guy is, grabs like grabs Chunk's cheeks and is squeezing his cheeks, and like you just just mm-hmm. his eyes like looking down at the at the fingers, <laughs> like it's it's so good. But the yeah. other one is uh, when he's in the um, when he's in the basement, they have him talking about stuff and they're, and they're giving him ice cream, and he says he can't give them some piece of information. They take the ice cream away from him, which he tries to hold on to. Right. And then he then he very slowly goes for the spoon, and they grab that away from him too. Yeah. Oh man! I That's mean, how hungry he was. He's got yeah. That that guy. Every one of his moments for me totally lands. Yeah, and I think that's insane. Like he, I, I would watch it just for him, even if I didn't like anything else in it. Well, maybe now that I'm thinking about it here, I know we're just gonna talk Goonies forever. <laughs> what do you think about Sean Astin in this movie? I mean, does he get enough? You know, because I think about it, and clearly he's the straight guy. It's probably mm-hmm. the one that would be most like any kid watching sure. this movie or at least eh, most kids and he carries the sort of the weight of the, the motivation he's the one that, that plants the seed and mm-hmm. is determined to see it through yeah that's a tough kind of thing to to carry for a child actor i think and uh sure. what were you, what were your thoughts watching it again just as far as as his performance is concerned and obviously i mean chunk stood out so again i think you know yeah He's destined to be overshadowed uh, in in some ways by his his co-stars here, but I don't know. Maybe uh, should we give more love to Sean Astin and Goonies? I think so. Yeah. I think uh, I mean, like he's he's not at his best acting yet as a twelve year old. Yeah, but tough. 
but I, I I think he is perfectly cast and he's he's so sincere and I feel like honestly like the, and and I think it's a terrible speech when they're in the bottom of the well and he's saying it's their time up there but it's our time down here mm-hmm. just just the way that that speech is written I think is just awful and, and this makes <laughs> oh, me cringe no. but 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 he sells it it's like it's like yeah. that and when, and when he's going through the story that his dad told him I think are two things that in a different actor's hands would have been terrible but he he's just he seems so genuinely excited about it to me mm-hmm. that i love that whereas and i would say this conversely when i was a kid aside from data i think that uh that i thought mouth was super funny yeah and now i almost don't find him funny at all interesting he's the sarcastic one yeah you know it's just like oh yeah i, I don't need that uh but i think there's a good balance in, in general in this ensemble like I, I feel like there's not really anyone who's totally wasted what about you thinking about it i definitely feel like that's a pretty impressive feat sean Aston pulled off and i would probably venture to say the same in regards to feldman where he feels like you know especially being a parent now, it's like oh man that kid would be annoying to hang yeah. around but you know he's also he's the one that's maybe got the the inner demons a little bit you know, <laughs> sure that come out a little bit yeah and that's something there's a shade of that and explores a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think that is is something that these movies kind of handle delicately even ET as well thinking about that and sort of the home life well, as a character that something's not quite perfect whether it's you know like an ET or it's a single mom. Or, or what's going on here where the parents are possibly going to be forced to move because they don't have enough money. I don't know. I mean, to me, that in this instance certainly filters down on Sean Astin's shoulders. And, uh, you know, w- without it, I don't know what this movie looks like. It would be interesting to think if you've swapped Ethan Hawke or, or River Phoenix or yeah. the kid uh, Barrett Oliver from Daryl, you know, one, some, one of these other kids sure. that obviously, like, there's a shit ton of kids floating around in movies around this era. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, you know? Sure. What, you know, what would Goonies look like with, with somebody else in that role? And, and it's obviously, like, um, that's a complete hypothetical, but I don't know. Sean Astin, I think, maybe deserves a higher bit of praise here. Yeah. What about, and I'm thinking about it now, uh, the ladies in this movie in Goonies. Uh, anything there watching it again? I feel like they're they're not just background or just going along for the ride or maybe I I want to think that <laughs> in regards to Goonies, but I don't know with these other two movies there's definitely I mean there's there's really nothing. Yeah. Uh, for the young girls here. Well, and and that was something I was thinking about before. I mean, that's I mean, look at the entire year, really. Like yeah. how lucky are we that we were like we're just white dudes yeah. growing up because I mean that's what every movie's about and of course it's not something I thought about then but it was like going to see this movie it's like this is this is this is some of my reality reflected back at me mm-hmm. you know yeah I mean that's a good question I mean I think I think they're both integral to the movie now you know like I wouldn't want them to be gone yeah but yeah I mean I mean do they generally just serve to be saved i guess not because if only because andy knows how to play a piano <laughs> yeah and so they get they get through that um but but i mean yeah, but beyond that they're also just good additions to the team like they're not forgotten about they no. certainly have they certainly have characters which is nice like they don't they don't just sort of 
disappear into the background until somebody needs to be randomly kissed in a cave. Right. While everyone's peeing. Yeah. And I do think it's it um, is kind of a, a, an interesting dynamic that they created by, you know, it's not just that Andy has to be saved by Bran. It's that, you know, she has that moment with Mikey, the little brother, you know, mm-hmm. um, and even with, with Plimpton and, and Feldman there, it's like it's not really like a romantic thing, but it's yeah. just like that surly early romance. The thing is so such such a yeah. middle school thing, too, you know, sure. um, for boys, obviously. And I think I kind of appreciate what they did there with that as opposed to just making it, uh-oh, Andy got herself kidnapped by the Fratellis, and now Bran's got to mm-hmm. go save him or something. You know, it's sure. not just a total damsel in distress thing here, uh, which is nice and um, yeah. hard to do. Sadly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man. You know what else is hard to do? What's that? Aliens. <laughs> Apparently. Aliens are hard to do. Explorers, uh, 1985 movie, obviously. Joe Dante directed, fresh off of huge success with Gremlins. Extremely notable now mm-hmm. as the very first movie. And in fact, if you believe the IMDb trivia and what's floating around on the internet, the literal first bit of acting that Ethan Hawke ever did. Um, yeah. sh- showed up at an audition with a friend, got the job himself. Uh, and River Phoenix, late River Phoenix, great, obviously playing completely against everything else he would do after this yeah. uh, being geek 101 i mean he's like urkel level to a degree um yeah. but this is a movie about three kids who two of them are, are definitely sort of sci-fi nerds and then a computer nerd and they sort of through dreams craig which that's still mm-hmm. a bit of uh, an interesting element in this movie mm-hmm. piece together blueprints for some sort of computing advancement that allows them to create an orb that they can control and increase the size of which allows them to then create a ship to fly inside of this orb which does ultimately take them to space Mm -hmm. i think there's two-thirds of an interesting movie here and then that last bit where they do kind of come face to face with alien uh, really is where my nostalgia reached its limits with this movie. Right. Because I was thinking about it today, and A, the design of the aliens is extremely, I think, kid-friendly, but just it looks cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it suits. But the delivery is annoying. They oh, yeah. basically are aliens that have existed on just an overload of American TV. If you're of a certain age and you remember seeing Robin Williams on like a late night show as an interview where he just starts talking and doesn't stop and does like 8,000 voices, that's what watching the last act of <laughs> Explorers mm-hmm. is, is like. It was exhausting and it totally took me out of this movie, sadly. But... Again, I think this is a notable movie. It feels like it's definitely trying to pull off the Spielberg thing. You look at that poster. It's mm-hmm. got vibes of, you know, the flashlights in E.T. and there's something in the shed, although it's behind a picket fence here. It's got the Joe Dante thing. Apparently it was rushed into production and some of that comes through. Uh, once again, you got ordinary kids in an extraordinary circumstance. 
And so uh, this was a big year for that. And we talked last time about how this movie, in my mind, was a much bigger deal than it turned out to be at the box office, where I think it placed, I had it here in the 80s, 86. Actually made less money than Brazil, Craig. And once bitten. It's not easy to do. No, barely made more money than the Ghostbusters reissue. Anyway, I definitely watched this movie a lot as a kid. What about you? Is this something that stuck out to you from childhood? And then what did you think watching it again? Well, in a weird way, it is. I think that I've seen it before I watched it this time. Although I'm not entirely sure that I saw the entire thing before. Mm-hmm. I definitely remember the posters. Yeah. I know that that vehicle very well. I've seen tons of pictures of that. Right. It's definitely something that fired up my imagination as a kid, just seeing that stuff. But but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever watched the entire thing. And and it's exactly that. I mean, it's it's trading on every last bit of Steven Spielberg goodness that's out there. <laughs> and for... For yeah, for two thirds of that last movie. <laughs> well, yeah, there's more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, but I mean, again, like like uh, with stuff like Back to the Future that opened the same uh, summer that, that we're going to talk about, it's just like I don't know. It's 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 such a great start for a movie. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean, it's it's the guy who directed Gremlins. Like, how how could you go wrong? Do you feel like he went wrong? What do you think he was going for with the ending? I'm not sure. And from what I've read, I certainly don't think Joe Dante was satisfied with the ending. It sounds like it wasn't completely even written as they were shooting. It was rushed Mm -hmm. into production from the beginning. I believe the movie was offered to Wolfgang Peterson originally Mm -hmm. off the hills of NeverEnding Story. And I think he wanted to shoot somewhere not in America. And they were like, no, 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 it's got to be American. These have to be American kids. And so they went after Joe Dante. And I think that's where he excels, like, by far, is that opening act of this movie. And, like, again, tapping into what these American kids look like and and probably the kind of stuff that he liked as kids. I mean, there's a lot of little science fiction stuff in this movie. You know, I mean, Ethan Hawke's character is somewhat obsessed with old sci-fi movies. And there's War of the Worlds playing on TV. And... You know, there's magazines and books and all of that stuff. And I'm sure that's probably personal to to Joe Dante. I think the dream stuff is a mystery. Mm -hmm. It appears as if they go up on this spaceship and basically sit and listen to these aliens for 10 minutes. And then the alien's dad comes out, you know, doesn't speak English. And he's like, well, dad's upset. You guys have to go home now. And that's it. I don't know what you take away from that. I mean, I really, really don't, it's other than just establishing contact. And then there's a thousand questions that that raises if that is the goal. You know, it's why yeah. these kids, why do they dream these things? You know, what were they planning the dreams? I think some of that might be explained or, or attempted to be explained. It totally gets lost in there. Um, but mostly the movie just, I think it just becomes stagnant. Like it just loses a lot of momentum and movement when they go on the spaceship. You're in this really unfamiliar setting and it just slows down oddly. Whereas you would think that's where you ramp up. Like you're in space, you got to meet aliens. And and some of that is, is I think it's because of, we can't imagine what that looks like. We don't know. And so it's, it's just uncomfortable and it takes you a while to kind of get used to the design of these creatures and things like that. Whereas the rest of the movie is clearly set in reality. And, you know, I, I think it does a good job of 
And there's bullies. There's, you know, a girl that Ethan Hawke is into, which is, I think, Amanda Peterson, who was a love interest in Can't Buy Me Love. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just some of that stuff that is really universal. And boy, you just you just lose that when you go on a spaceship, you know? Yeah. I mean, to take it at face value, it's about sort of dashing the hopes and dreams of someone. Or, or, or just, or it's just sort of that story of don't get your hopes up. Like, I, I don't know, it, but th- there's a part of me that kind of admires that ending mm-hmm. where it's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build this up. We're going to have this great story of these kids. We're going to go into space. And this one kid just can't wait to explore all that. And then when he gets there, it's going to be the most annoying place he's ever been in his life. There's a saxophone, an alien playing a saxophone. <laughs> Yeah. Imagine yeah. if that's. Just, I would love that to be actually our first contact with aliens would involve yeah. one of them playing a saxophone. I don't know why he, why why that had to be a part of his journey. Yeah, like why Ethan Hawke needed to be disappointed in what was going on because yeah, it's it's just bizarre. It's certainly kind of interesting, but the jokes are not funny. And then and then that's over. And and like and then they have this goodbye scene that almost feels like like oh my gosh. these kids save the world or something. When they're all flying through the clouds, holding hands, like that's a dream, right? That, that's the aliens contacting them again. Yeah, I thought. But I mean, but yeah. it's such a weird thing to end on. I think you know. <laughs> oh, it's it's super weird. It's yeah. it's like there's nothing more yeah awkward than these kids pretending to fly. Like, yeah, there's, that definitely didn't work. Yeah, and and it's just too bad. Like there's there's so much interesting stuff mm-hmm. before that. I don't know. You you almost want it to just turn out that they they don't they don't ever go into space. They just end up like fighting the military or something. You know the the uh, the other trope of the eighties. Yeah. And speaking of tropes, that was another like this this to me says eighties movie almost more than anything, which is I think like you're meeting maybe the main character who's a kid, and you start off on a television with some kind of sci-fi or horror thing yep. happening. Mm-hmm. Like. I feel like I could name 10 movies off the top of my head right now that just do that exact same thing. And I feel like I don't even see that very much anymore. Yeah. Well, we'll see it again Um, in Back to the Future for sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely Back to the Future. Well, while we're on that note, just we'll hit some other tropes as well. Just watching this. um, The walkie-talkies. I I think, were there walkie-talkies in uh, Goonies? Didn't Mouth have one at the beginning? There was a walkie-talkie at the beginning. I mean, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, You got bikes in this movie. One mm-hmm. of the kids, Darren, played by Jason Presson, uh, rides a dirt bike to middle school, it appears, <laughs> of sure, some kind, to not? and from. I think there's an Apple IIe computer in there. You know, mm-hmm. like, again, computers are kind of working their way and thing. They named their spaceship after a uh, Bruce Springsteen song. So we talked about Springsteen and Reagan in the previous episode. Here we go. Yeah. They say ass, kick ass a, a couple times, like three or four times. And yeah. what looks like at least, you know, Obviously, it's fake blood, but it looks like real blood. It's red. Sure. When River Phoenix gets punched in the nose, you're probably not seeing that in a kid's movie these days. You have uh, Peeping Tomism treated as, oh, isn't that sweet? Yes, totally. He's Which is definitely an 80s thing. Yep. You've got a kid showing up with a beard that he took from dead and taking sips from it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that again. And, and it's not even, yeah. It's not even like played it's, as a joke. It's almost really. not even a thing. No, yeah. it's not. It's just like, oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that then, because actually, I really, in some ways, 
was surprised by how much I liked the depiction of these three main kids. Ethan Hawke, who's just so enthusiastic, and I, I loved that. Like, it, you know, it's like he's the guy that's, this is, we're going to space. Like, this is, think about mm-hmm. it. It's pretty interesting. Like, his delivery is so good. Like, you yeah. know, there's even like, it just, it feels like they hold some of those scenes just long enough where it's like, Okay, I get it. Like, he's just that kid. And it's like, what are you going to say to that kid? It's like, yeah, okay. Like, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a nerd, you know? Yeah. And then you've got River Phoenix, who's totally a nerd. Um, but, you know, smart. He's the guy doing science experiments in his basement and all that stuff, I think, is fun. And then, you know, this other kid, Darren, played by Jason Presson, he's the kid that's got the troubled home life, you know, a bit like, you know, we see that a little bit through across these kind of movies. But I like how they handled that even. You never see the yeah. dad, as far as I remember. He just sort of talks about him. He doesn't even, he's alcoholic, obviously. Mm-hmm. He also is like, you know, my dad's okay. He just blah, blah, blah. You know, he doesn't really completely disparage his father which is the kind of thing i think you get then and and we'll see this i think when we start looking at things like breakfast club and and some of the teenage movies is Mm -hmm. that angst comes out whereas that's like sort of what i love about these movies set in middle school with middle school kids is they still retain some of that innocence that they're not like it's not the thing that pushes them to rebel you know right and there's i don't know there's something enjoyable about watching that they're not pissed off, you know. Yeah. Their lives aren't perfect by any stretch. Ethan sure. Hawke is getting beat up at school. He kind of just has to go along with it, you know. Um, he does his yeah. part to, to just kind of roll with it and, and fight back to the extent that he can. He doesn't have a moment where he turns into the hero and beats the crap out of his bully. I liked all of that. I liked these kids. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, this is a, a great trio of kids. It makes sense that they're all together. And there's also a good amount of time spent on building them up. Yeah. Because, like, they don't know Darren to begin with. Nope. And, you know, like, all that stuff works. I mean, and, and you can kind of look at it as the movie's moving pretty slowly. For sure. I guess. But, it's but you know, it's the same thing. You, if you watch E.T., it's very much the same thing. Like, that movie moves really slow. It's mm-hmm. just everything you're watching is interesting. So... You know, there, now it would be you'd have ten to fifteen minutes, and then you'd have to be into the into the action of the movie. Yeah, they'd be in the spaceship and on their way. Yeah, like we got to get them to space. That's something we'll get into with Daryl as well. Um, they push that even further, I think, <laughs> yeah. um, to the point where maybe they they cross a little bit too far. But I'm with you, and and one of the things I really liked about this movie and in those moments is. I mean, the idea of making a spaceship, I think, is like a totally 80s thing in some ways. Uh, You know, maybe it was also, you know, a couple decades before that, too, with kids that were, you know, in the very early days of the space race. But here it's like, yeah, if I just have a computer and some some crap from the uh, the scrapyard. I could make mm-hmm. a spaceship, you know, yeah. uh, and you get that those that montage. I mean, that it's it's kind of great. Like, I mean, I sort of love that, and I I felt watching it again this time. It's like, you know what? I probably spent about twenty minutes in my garage one day after watching this movie, just looking for pieces to scrap together <laughs> and think of. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna make a spaceship, and it's like you know, I probably didn't get very far with it, obviously. But I love that. I mean, or you wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah, exactly. And to your point, where you know the biggest thing that you maybe noticed about Goonies was there's no computer, there's no internet. You know, here I think uh, that that scene in specific, that that sequence, 
boy, that's that, that's a great one as far as like, I don't, you know, today it's, uh, what would that look like? You know, do you, would you have kids yeah. kind of doing the exact same thing or would you have to have the sequence where they've got their phone right beside it and they're watching a YouTube video on how to put together, you know, how to weld a uh, garbage can to something else, you know? Yeah. And I'm so glad we don't have any of that here. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Well, but, and it's, it's, for whatever reason, it's totally viable. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've you've got Darren, who sure he rides a motorcycle. He must know how to put things together. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, you know, once you have that force field, the only the only thing that bothered me about the force field thing, I wonder if this bothers anyone else out there. And it's not like it took me out of the movie that much or anything, but it's like the first time they really go out for a flight, they they get into into the thing and they turn on the force field. Mm-hmm. The force field comes on and it cuts the blocks that are holding the thing up. And they, they like fall away and then they go flying. Yeah. But earlier, River Phoenix was caught in the bubble, but his feet weren't chopped off. And so that's just one of those things where I like I couldn't get out of my head. I'm like, well, how did he end up in that bubble? <laughs> yeah. Without getting anything chopped off. Um, again, not super important, but I. Uh, no. And it. I mean, to the extent that. I really like when it goes haywire in the basement and then it goes down the street and then it comes back in and yeah. it's just like, man, I mean, it's, it, it could kill you easily if it hits yeah. you. I mean, you get that impression. Well, and that exactly. That's the other thing that's kind of great about it is yeah. like that thing flying around. You do have to hide from it cause it'll go through a wall Yeah, and it does like, yeah, it's, it's kind of awesome. It's sort of that, uh, be careful of what you wish for and you know there's responsibility to this thing that they've created you know uh which i kind of like um but i will say the science of like any of this i didn't understand and they have moments where they touch on it you know river phoenix will spew out something Mm -hmm. but i kind of like that they didn't they just didn't make a big deal out of it (laughs) I think that's that's yeah. always the secret. Like less is more. And again, we're gonna see Daryl's slightly different ball of wax. But um, did any of that bother you at all? Which for for how the force field worked and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, just the science of like yeah, getting off the ground and like the oxygen. You know, I think they get oxygen tanks. But in any of that stuff, I mean, like because I was thinking, it's like they're gonna leave the atmosphere in this thing. You know, I mean, all that. Right. You know, it's like when you think about that, the, the realities of of even flying to any sort of altitude, a lot of this is going to fall apart, but well, that's the thing. I mean, it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because I'm, I'm I'm nostalgic for that time of movies. I mean, it can't just be that. I mean, it's, it's definitely ridiculous that you're just going to type a few things on a computer and then you're going to have a force field. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, like certainly the science in back to the future like works a little harder at trying to make it feel like there's a thing behind how it works. Right. Whereas this is like, he had these dreams. I mean, it works enough. He had these dreams that were basically implanted in his head. Mm-hmm. They, the dreams don't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that he drew a thing. And then it, you know, none of that makes sense, but it makes enough sense. Um, for me anyway. So yeah. So when that came on, cause I, I mean, really as a kid, especially you just want to get to the part where they have the force field. Yeah. So, you know, get me there without completely insulting my intelligence and then and then have fun with it. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie is notable beyond the science of it, but just within that world, uh, some of the effects, you know, I, I think um, there's some Tron vibe mm-hmm. to the animation of the dream sequences. 
where you know you're seeing what is I don't know is it supposed to be like a motherboard or something? I don't know like it, it it's clearly got some geometric right. pattern to it that they then you know he wakes up and draws it down and then takes it to River Phoenix and he's like oh this is a circuit board blah 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 blah, blah. you know I can grade it um, but this is ILM I don't know if that qualifies as CG. I mean, it seems right. like it. It looks like it's not I, I hand-drawn it animation, right? No, I, I, it's definitely not hand-drawn. Like, yeah. that is, that's definitely a computer. Yeah, and you've also got Rob Botton did uh, a lot of the makeup effects in this thing, and he yeah. did, you know, he's a legend. He, he did the movie Legend and Total Recall and Robocop and a ton of stuff, ton of stuff. But I, I think it's also interesting here in this movie that some of that stuff doesn't hold up, you know, specifically... Yeah you can kind of see how far I think green screen has come sure. because a lot of the flying sequences in the, in the force field when they're on earth are, are clearly done that way. And I mean, that first time that river Phoenix is in the bubble when he's in the air, oh, yeah. it doesn't look very good, but then it, he crashes into yeah. the ground and like they're using practical effects to sort of, you know, you know, explode dirt and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that stuff I thought looked cool, you know, yeah. Even having the little like gopher or whatever, like yeah. animatronic or puppet gopher stick its head out of the hole after he comes, it was like, oh, that, that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it was, it, it was kind of like, you know, the, the, the bubble looked pretty fake. Yeah. Like that green screen stuff looked pretty fake. But at the same time, the bubble, they also did like warp anything that was behind it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it, it you know, they, there was kind of a, a dimension to it. And I think, oh, there was one other shot where I, I'm not exactly sure how they did it. And I don't know if it was just my copy was low quality enough that I just couldn't see the obvious things that, that was happening. But there's a bit where, where they're just hovering and a helicopter comes to check them out. Yeah. And and I, I don't know. I don't know if your copy, it looked more fakey to you, but like the, the helicopter goes all the way around it. So it's shining a light on it and it gets, the light gets behind it and, and it's just shining at you from the, I don't know. It, it looked very seamless to me. I was like impressed by like that. It was hovering, yeah. yeah. That that scene in particular, and I think maybe some of the benefit of that is the lighting versus, you know, the first sure. time River Phoenix goes into the bubble, it's in broad daylight, and you know maybe there's there's some difference yeah. there just because of its the brightness of it. Um, but I don't know. It would be interesting to kind of get all the kind of juicy effects stuff there. Juicy. It's maybe worth mentioning the pilots of the helicopter are. Dick Miller, who was in uh, Gremlins, excuse me, mm-hmm. and uh, Meshach Taylor, of designing yeah. women fame and Mannequin. And Mannequin, no. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you also got uh, in supporting roles here James Cromwell, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think River Phoenix's family is supposed to be German, correct? The Mullers, yeah, they have a yeah. they have a deep accent, or he does anyway. Yeah, no, they both do. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought that was kind of fun. I mean, I don't know. It would be interesting to know. Like, why did they decide that? Is it just because they were like, well, the, the name Wolfgang is cool. Let's call him that. It's like, well, why would he, why would his parents name him Wolfgang? It's like, well, what if they're German? You know, it's like, yeah. what do you go through the process of, of coming up with that? Danny Nucci, we talked about briefly uh, before we started mm-hmm. recording, is one of the, he's listed as a nasty kid at school. And you might remember him from Titanic. He played uh, Fabrizio. <laughs> it was like the very. <laughs> Very Italian immigrant uh, running around with uh, mm-hmm. with old Leo there. Uh, Robert Picardo, a lot of you I think are going to know. I think he's in one of the Star Trek oh, yeah. reiterations. So, you know, there's there's people here and there that obviously 
had major careers and and showed up all over the place. And Absolutely. I think you and I both bemoan the fact that uh, Jason Presson didn't do a ton after this of yeah. note. Some TV stuff, some uh, video stuff. He was in Lady in White and Gremlins 2. And uh, I really liked his performance in this movie. I thought all the kids were good, but obviously there's more of a, a, a knowledge towards Hawk and Phoenix, and maybe rightfully so. But I thought this kid held his own, for sure. He definitely did. I mean, he, he definitely didn't fade into the background. Like, he was an important part of the team. Uh, this movie is also notable in that apparently it's got Easter eggs coming out the wazoo. And by Easter eggs, there's just little things like, a, I guess there's a rosebud sled in there. Um, obviously, not to Citizen Kane. Uh, there's a right. line from Poltergeist, the Springsteen song. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff. There's, I think, a mention of the town, uh, the fictional town in Gremlins makes its uh, makes an appearance somewhere here and there. Well, the, yeah, the one I saw was the the middle school was named after Chuck Jones. Oh, uh, okay. I think anyway, Charles Charles M. Jones yeah. Middle School, and that feels kind of like a trope. Of the 80s in a way, although it might have sure. just been people like Dante and Landis who would just kind of put these joke things in the background yeah. because they just uh, were such big fans of that stuff. Oh, and you know what? Jason Presson, no one will care about this except for me, but he was in an episode of The Twilight Zone, the new Twilight Zone from the 80s, and and it's one of the very few that I totally remember called The Shadow Man. Did, do you have any recollection of this episode? No. Did you ever watch those? Yeah, but I don't I don't remember them that well. The Shadow Man, let me just run it down for you. This will be a great tangent because we're only 12 minutes past the hour. Sure. So uh, he's uh, he's playing this kid named Eric. And one night the shadow comes out from under his bed. So he freaks out. He's like super scared. And the guy says, don't worry. I'm the Shadow Man from under your bed. Like I- I'll never hurt you. Mm-hmm. I'll only protect you. And then Eric uses the Shadow Man to get revenge on some other kids and stuff. And then toward the end, he goes somewhere to meet up with the shadow man to get the to get revenge on on some more kids as i remember i could be totally wrong about the revenge part but this part i know is true because as a kid this this was this made my blood run cold mm-hmm. the shadow man shows up and you know the kid is like okay well here's who we're going to go get now and the shadow man says no i'm not going to do that and eric says you got to you're the shadow man and he says yes i'm the shadow man but I'm the shadow man from under someone else's bed. Ooh. And then you just see like the shadow go across his face and it blacks out. Wow. And I was like, oh man, Eric bit the dust. Poor Eric. Shadow man, go watch it now that I've spoiled it for you. Maybe should have mentioned also Bradley Gregg, who was one of the like bully gang guys in uh, Explorers, played Eyeball in Stand By Me. And uh, yeah. also Roscoe. He's been a good gang member. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Roscoe in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I don't remember that character, but I haven't seen that movie forever. He was at the very beginning. Yeah. I totally remember because he was, he was one of the gang of the prototype Indiana Jones. He's a gang dude. Who, who like takes the thing away from River Phoenix. Okay. He's like one of those guys. Maybe he's a buddy of Phoenix. I don't know. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he's in there. Oh, but speaking of Phoenix, yeah. I did forget to mention this. Like, apparently, he and Ethan Hawke both had a thing for Amanda Peterson. And, oh. uh, yeah, supposedly, according to Dante, I think uh, Ethan Hawke kind of one out, pulled into the lead of. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, that's why he's the Hawk, y'all. Perfection. Sadly, uh, uh, Amanda Peterson is, is not with us anymore. Oh, oh that's true. Yeah, yeah. Died of an OD, apparently. It sucks. Amanda. 
And good night, folks. Yep. No. <laughs> let's, let's let's leave it on that. We won't we won't leave it on that because then we we wouldn't be able to talk about Daryl. He's a mystery and a miracle. He's just a little boy, flesh and blood, isn't he? With a past he doesn't remember. Daryl is an experiment in artificial intelligence. Are you really my mom and dad? And powers he doesn't understand. You're now saying it can feel human emotion. Yes. He experiences pleasure and pain. The government designed him. You're asking us to destroy a child. Now, they want him destroyed. The Youth Life Form Project, as of now, is terminated. Paramount Pictures presents... Daryl. I know, Craig, you didn't get to yet. You think maybe you have seen, back in the day, perhaps? I definitely... I saw this in the theater. No question about it. saw it in the theater. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, I could I mean, talk I to the theater, uh, Craig, right now. Because, uh, I know, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies, and, and I even felt it watching it again where I think they sold us something other than they delivered. Even looking at this poster right now of the DVD cover, excuse me, you've got uh, Oliver Barrett, Barrett Oliver, excuse me, I'm going to do that a bunch probably. Yeah. Who, If you haven't seen Daryl, he was the kid reading the book in Never Ending Story. He was Bastion. And uh, also he has a big year this year. He shows up in Cocoon as well and then Cocoon the sequel. Anyway. You got that kid, right? And he's mm-hmm. in the cockpit of an airplane, flying the plane. And That's I right. watch the trailer, and that figures prominently in that as well, as does the opening. There's an opening chase sequence where he's running from a helicopter. And um, that's not this movie. That is the last two minutes, not two, a little more than two maybe, minutes of the movie <laughs> when he is in the airplane. And the helicopter chase is the first two or three minutes of the movie. And what you get in between, in some ways, is way less satisfying but more interesting. I think of the three movies that we watch, this is definitely the one with perhaps the actual most science fiction bent to it. Because Mm -hmm. it is posing the question about artificial intelligence and how you treat artificial intelligence specifically when they look like a kid. And that's a pretty interesting question. Clearly you can draw a straight connection and I'm, I'm sure none exist whatsoever. Uh, but the movie AI, um, you know, it, uh, we sure. can't do these things without talking about Spielberg, but that, that movie is kind of the same thing as this, except the parents know that the kid is a robot from the get go. Here you've got a kid who escapes from this helicopter chase in the in the opening and shows up in the woods uh, and is found and he has no memory. He's got amnesia. Classic setup for a born identity movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they need to do a born identity kids movie. I mean, like that would be amazing, right? You know, it's a kid who turns out yeah. he's an assassin. Anyway, <laughs> kind of what he is, folks. He's he's a robot that was created for a military uh, program. Before you find all that out, you know, he's a kid. He ends up in sort of a, like a little halfway house kind of situation, orphanage boys home thing where, you know, they do like a little bit of vetting and he there's a sequence where he glances at an eye chart and turns around and uh, recites it verbatim without even looking at it. There's a little bit of being interviewed by the staff there and it's like, okay, th- this kid is different. He's got no memory, but 
he's unique. He's special. He seems very normal, calm, nice, innocent kid on the surface, but there's something going on beneath. Uh, he's mm-hmm. placed with a couple, interestingly here, played by Michael McKeon in a very extremely straight role. I mean, this is like, you know, yeah. th- this is very much a sort of prototypical family movie uh, set of parents. You know, they're loving, they're nice, they're caring. Uh, they've got, you know, a couple little quirks. Uh, his wife is played by Mary Beth Hurt. She's a piano teacher, teaches out of her house. I don't know what Michael McKeon does, but he coaches baseball teams, big baseball guy. And so they basically are adopting this kid for a short amount of time, hoping that they could maybe adopt him permanently. And then, of course, after they form a bond with him, which takes all of the first at least like 40 minutes of this movie, right? So you're watching this and like this is a straight family drama with a few little moments where like the neighbor kid, who of course is named Turtle, because you know, you can't have a kid's movie in the 80s without like some fun nickname for a kid, right? (laughs) He doesn't wear sleeves on his shirt. He's kind of, his name's Danny Corkle. He talks about his sister being an amateur hooker. Um, You know, he's sort of the comic relief of this thing in that regard. And he has Daryl over and Daryl like aces pole position on Atari the first time he's playing it. Right. Which yeah. Basically they just speed up the the game, you know, you know, through video and make it look like he's just driving super fast. Anyway. So, you know, that something's different about this kid. Two people show up. They claim to be his parents. They've got photos of him from when he was younger and they take him back you find out very quickly these are basically scientists and they created Daryl. And essentially he has a computer for a brain. You know, it just immediately, like when you hear that as an adult, right, in 2017, and this is maybe where, especially as a kid, obviously, but even maybe as an adult in 85, you don't start asking like, well, wait a second, he's been eating food, you know, because like if you, you know, he's a robot, but you don't know that he's just got like a computer, even if you have a computer brain, I don't know. How does that work with all your other human organs? Right. Right. So I was like, well, where's this food going? Is he pooping? What's going on here? Well, and let me ask this, as long as we're on that tip. Yeah. And forgive me if, if this was obvious, but why did they decide to build a super soldier out of a 10 year old boy? That is not obvious to me. I don't know. Maybe I missed that in the explanation. There's definitely a uh, military commander who's our bad guy in this whole thing. And he has some of those moments where he's talking about a General Greycliff. I don't remember that. I don't remember if the plan was, yeah, it's like, okay, well, he's going to grow into an adult and then he'll be able to kill people. Like, what would be the possible advantage of having a kid be there <laughs> it makes no sense about I, mean, well, I mean why yeah why would you want yeah. to uh build it and then like have to wait 18 years or something yeah i don't know uh, i mean so so but it wasn't obviously it wasn't uh, obvious it was not obvious in the story like that you have to be small or you have to like yeah get people to trust you or yeah. well okay. you may recall back in the day the best way to spy on somebody was to climb through the uh, air shaft and the the uh, mm. ventilation ducts I've done that countless times. Yeah, well, times. yeah, and it works better when you're a child of Daryl's size, right? Sure. So uh, maybe that's it. I don't know. It also worked for Bruce Willis, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's worked for a lot of adults. Like it's, 
worked for a lot of people. But yeah, it's hard to watch this movie as an adult and have that kind of information dropped on you and not have a thousand questions pop up, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I will say, of the three movies, this one is at least asking, it's asking the most adult question here. And in fact, they they state it blatantly when one of the scientists, Dr. Ellen Lamb, played by Catherine Walker, says, a machine becomes human when you can't tell the difference anymore. And that's sort of based on the Turing test. I think it was obviously something you saw in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's asking that question again, shows up in AI years later. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting question, especially now in the world that we live in, when we are talking to digital assistants. It's kind of interesting to me, and I wonder if this plays into the fact that the movie did not do very well. I think it finished 99th in the box office that year. That would be accurate. Because, yeah, you're trying to wedge interesting questions on a sci-fi scale into what's otherwise a straight sort of like family drama. <laughs> like drama. Yeah. Um, and so that to me was like the, the big thing with this movie and like watching it, I'm like, I don't know if this works. And I don't know if it works because Explorers and Goonies, you've got, yeah, like those ordinary kids that we talked about that we loved doing extraordinary things and they're in peril and they have adventure here. This kid is not ordinary. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like that's what makes him interesting, but he's in a, an extremely ordinary circumstance for the bulk of this movie. You know, he's playing baseball. He's going to school, um, you know, getting picked on a little bit, dealing with that. Dealing with parents and feeling love and and trying to please them and wondering, uh, did I go too far or do I need to mess up so that mom is not doubting her role in this relationship and things like that. That's why I'm so curious. Like, what would you have thought walking out of the theater as a kid seeing that? that, Oh, that was good. I like the fact that he was a robot and flew a plane. And, you know, I can imagine your dad being like, yeah, well, that was like three minutes of the movie. The rest of it was boring as hell. Um, I don't want to take you to another one of these. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like, it's tough because, you know, we talked about, I think that quote from Ebert in the previous episode, we are talking about, you know, you know having, having kids play a little bit older than they are to sort of find that sweet spot of having a movie that still appeals to kids and still, you know, is satisfying to adults. Here, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's harder to pinpoint who exactly the audience is, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's the tricky thing. Mm. And, and again, I don't remember exactly how I felt when I saw it, but, it, it, you know, it's not one that I've watched over and over again. So it wasn't one that really stuck with me. And I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if a part of that is, you know, you get into this movie and then you realize, oh, that kid's not like me at all. Yeah. Like that kid's a robot. That doesn't, you know, that's, that's not super fun. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be interesting if it was a kid... Did it have even the the Blade Runnery feeling of like he doesn't know he's a robot? No. See that 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 would be super interesting to me. Yeah, because he finds out pretty much immediately after he's like picked up by this other family. I mean, by by I'm sorry, by the two scientists who come and get him. Yeah, you know, they, they're sort of telling. And like what happened was, and I had to like read this to kind of like extrapolate all the info. But in the opening chase. He's being let go by another scientist or someone in the military who gained a conscience, I guess, and, uh, and you know, helped him escape, but they wiped his memory, his computer memory, in his brain and let him go. 
which I'm assuming means they're kind of wiping a lot of the military, you know, designs or desires for that robot kid. Right. Again, don't know why he's a kid. I don't know why they want a yeah. kid. So, yeah, he, he knows none of that, but he does find out really quickly, you know. And that's, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That That is part of the the disappointment. And part of what made AI interesting was, you know, a robot knowing he's a robot, but wanting desperately to be a real kid. Yeah. And that, that question is, is really super heavy on the sci-fi side and I think would be tough for them to kind of, I mean, obviously they're going for the same market that Explorers is with this movie mm-hmm. or E.T. Or, or, or some of that Spielberg world landscape. That they, that, you know, they kind of missed the target here. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, even to me, like, just looking at it, looking at this poster that I'm looking at, the one where he's, uh, there's like three scientists in a window watching him while he's watching the Jetsons on a screen in the middle of all these computers. It looks like a military facility. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the, the way the name is all typed out there, like, it feels like, no, this is going to be like War Games and The Terminator. Yeah. War Games for sure you know, like is what they're... Is gonna be, hoping for and uh yeah i don't know i haven't seen that in a long time but i definitely remember that being more exciting again i think it's a pretty ordinary kid in an extraordinary situation some interesting takeaways though from this like watching it and again just kind of asking like okay what is it what makes this 1985 uh you know beyond uh you know pole position you got walkie talkies again like i i I never had a damn walkie talkie as a kid at least like (laughs) you know if i did i don't know that i would have just given one to my neighbor uh you know my friend but anyway uh, I felt like watching this, if this were made in 2017, and specifically because nobody knows this kid is a robot up front, but they know he's different, He, they would absolutely ask the questions, like, is he on the spectrum? Like, you would, you would have to ask that, sure. because a sure. lot of what he does is sort of like Asperger's-esque in the, the numbers and memory and, and sort of like attention to detail and, and kind of lack of, like, outpouring of emotion kind of thing like that. Um, you've also, again, I think I mentioned like the character of turtle, like talking about his sister being an amateur hooker. There's one point where she is brought home or she comes home from a date and just like, you know, innocently kiss on the cheek with her boyfriend, you know, boyfriend date, whatever turtles watching from the window on the walkie talkie with Daryl just doing commentary. And at one point he's like, she's practically being raped except she's saying, you know, she's not saying no. And, uh, Obviously, that line would never fly today. No. Um, uh, shit and damn, both make appearances, pissed off, etc. Daryl says, kiss my ass at one point. So all that stuff, you know, you kind of wonder, even in like as, as sterile as some of this movie feels like. And, and I think this is certainly more, in a lot of ways, PG than the other two movies. Mm-hmm. Even though some of that dialogue is probably worse than in Explorers. But uh, just the overall feel of it is is way more pg here this movie apparently a it looks like it's maybe set in charleston south carolina because there is a map that shows up when he's flying trying to he's making his big escape at the end when he gets in the cockpit of this jet and takes off and flees the military after being captured again looks like they're heading towards charleston but it was oddly enough filmed partly at pinewood studios in london which I'm guessing just all the interior stuff and the sets, but then uh, Dillsboro, North Carolina, and Brevard, North Carolina, which are kind of close to me, and then Orlando, Florida. So I, I mean, I'm curious to like, they really went all over the place for this little movie um, that finished 99th at the box office about a uh, 
a robot boy. So I, I think in some ways that's probably telling of what they kind of hoped it might be yeah. and didn't quite get there. Uh, director Simon Winsor is an Aussie. Did Lightning Jack, Operation Dumbo Drop. He's the Crocodile D in Los Angeles, which that movie came out in 2001, Craig. Can you believe that? I did not know that. No. He's also got Harley Davidson and, and uh, the Marlboro Man, Free Willy, and Quigley Down Under under his belt. You know, some, some big titles there for that director. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken here, uh, yes, David Ambrose, uh, the writer... No, I'm sorry. Alan Scott, one of the other credited writers, wrote Don't Look Now. You know that movie? Oh, wow. The Donald no, Sutherland, absolutely. Julie Christie, like Sex Fest. There's, yeah, I mean, like, I can't imagine, like, that guy was a writer on Daryl. <laughs> Especially because that movie came out before Daryl. So, there, uh, you know, somebody had to be like, you know who we need for Daryl. Let's get the guy that did Don't Look Now. Let's get him yeah. in here and clean this up. That's the tone we're going for. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I'd be curious to know which parts he contributed. I don't know. I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting piece for the period. I think it's a good example of what's not successful in this genre. Sad to say, especially watching it, uh, you know, in comparison to the other two movies that we talked about. Yeah. Um, I like some of the performances. I actually kind of liked Michael McKeon as a straight guy. Joseph Summer played one of the doctors, and I liked him a lot too, actually. And he's going to show up again uh, when we talk about Witness, Craig. He's in that movie. Oh. Yeah. So uh, connections all over the place. One bit of a little trivia here. Mm. Barrett Oliver. Now, obviously, we talked about this kid. Like, he's, he's a big 80s kid, you know, never-ending story, cocoon. That's a uh, that's, that's big deal here. He was also in yeah. Frankenweenie. Which was the short film? Oh wow! Yeah, the short film that that Burton did, obviously, well before uh, he turned that into a feature. But if you haven't seen a picture of Barrett Oliver now, it's worth googling. I think you'll be surprised at what he looks like. But listen to this: yeah. after kind of giving up acting, moving on in his life, yeah, he apparently has become uh, quite the photographer and printer, specializing in quote nineteenth-century processes such as collodion and woodberry type his work has been displayed in museum and gallery exhibitions and used in films he even has a book called a history of the woodberry type uh that is out there uh published in 2007 well good for him craig yeah also in an episode of the twilight zone titled grandma i don't remember that one unless that's the one where grandma calls him from the from beyond the grave could be could be could be could be. He did have a walkie-talkie. Ah. Can you make a call on the walkie-talkies from the grave? Uh, it depends on the, the, the reach of the, yep, <laughs> the, the frequency. signal. Uh, yeah. yeah, showed up in uh, Incredible Hulk, episode, Knight Rider, uh, and Highway to Heaven. So some solid 80s heavyweights on both TV and film side. Uh, seems like he's doing an interesting thing now with his life, and that's always nice to know. Daryl, I would say if you're going down memory lane, you can probably uh, take a turn and maybe skip this one. That's probably true, unless unless you're just being a completist, which I guess I'm going to be because I'm I'm definitely going to watch it. So I think that's that. You know, there's definitely other movies that have kids in prominent roles that. You know, having adventure elements like Return to Oz, uh, young Sherlock Holmes, 
I think we're going to get to some of those in a different episode. But mm-hmm. I think these three, looking through that list of like 180 movies, these three just felt more of like siblings. So right. if you're out there wondering why we didn't include them in this episode, that's why deal with it. And obviously, if you know of another movie we missed that would fit closely with these three, yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Smart guys. Absolutely. Smart gals. And speaking of uh, hearing about it, I, I, I need to bring up uh, our, our correction corner. Oh, yeah. So whatever music we have for that, we need to play that right now. Correction corner. That's good. That should do it. I just want to throw this out there because I think we had a bit of a misunderstanding uh, on the last uh, podcast mm, that's where we were impossible. talking about we were talking about Rocky IV. You were, I think you were saying uh, Brigitte Nielsen was in it and was she the wife of Dolph Lundgren in the movie? Yeah. But I took it as real life and I said, yeah, she was married to, to Sylvester Stallone. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the movie, of course, Talia Shire is his wife. Right. And uh, Brigitte Nielsen did play the wife of Ivan Drago in the movie. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Oh, it's just, that's so that, just so that people don't immediately listen to that and think these guys have no idea uh, what's happening in 1985. Well, you like that? I didn't. I didn't correct you because that clearly shows how recently I've watched a Rocky Rocky movie. That oh is, yeah, yeah. Tony no. Shire. I forgot about her. Anyway, well, just want to throw that out there. I think we're definitely going to get to that movie. You know, I, I think it fits with a lot of the other kind of. Uh, there's a lot of like martial arts and fighting movies, and maybe we'll lump it in with mm-hmm. that one, or we'll go down the Stallone big action star Schwarzenegger road. So look forward to that. We definitely are. We're figuring out our pairings and episodes. I mean, I'm here to tell you, we could probably do like seven more that are just about different youth movies. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just yeah. getting started and um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to suck. Counterpoint. Uh, it's not going to mm-hmm. suck. It's going to be cool. Okay. Come join us Fair enough. until then. Visit us online, say hello, uh, follow everything that you need to follow with us, and we'll be posting a bunch of other things real soon. Sounds real good. All right, let's go build a spaceship. Okay. Bye-bye.